Hello, and welcome to Leto Narrative Dissidents. In this episode, we're going to be traveling to space as we are uh, reviewing Traveler in this season two, episode 16. Just to get it out of the way, it does have the future conditional tense, uh, the word will, at least in the Mongoose uh, 2022 core rule update, uh, which is the version that we are using uh, or focusing on for our review because Traveler's many things and part of that many things are many many additions uh, from 1977, the original edition by Mark Miller, to this update of the 2016 version uh, published by Mongoose. And the current rules were developed by uh, someone we've mentioned on the podcast before, Gareth uh, Hanrahan. No, Gareth's, Gareth's fingerprints are on this crime scene? Original on the core yeah. uh, b- rulebook update 2022, original he core was, mechanics by Gareth. Yeah, Yeah, he was full time at Mongoose for a while. Are we sure it's not a Jose Garcia situation where there's more than one writer with that name? I, I not working at Mongoose, I don't think. Like, it's possible. Think- there's more than one James Wallace, you know. There's a there's a Jamie Wallace who popped up in the um, early mid two thousands doing some. I'm, I'll I'll be polite and say indifferent um, D twenty material, and I think has gone to ground again. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a weird time. Sorry. Yeah. Well, no. Just. I'm I'm just going to have to take comfort in the fact that well, I now know Gareth can do wrong. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's that's an early hit. I may just have to come out and say that of everything we have read for this podcast, I liked this the least. Wow. That's that's okay, right? That's an I statement, like yeah. like marriage counselors tell you to make. Don't say. Don't say you're a frigid bitch. Say, I feel that sometimes you don't listen to me. Right? (laughs) And I feel that I did not enjoy this game or pick up anything that it was trying to put down. I, that's a, I mean, let's just come out of the gate swinging. Traveler, uh, as described by itself in the introduction, is a science fiction role-playing game the far future, a multitude of universes await players, uh, and you can run any type of almost any kind of science fiction setting from highly intricate cyberpunk worlds to campaigns spanning entire galaxies where mighty empires clash and suns explode. If you have a favorite sci-fi film or TV show, Traveler will be able to replicate it for you, bringing your best love futuristic moments to your tabletop. So that's that's the pitch. It's the kitchen sink of science fiction. Uh, role playing that that is the premise of the that game. that's yeah that yeah. is what they claim mm-hmm. and to me that's like saying with this v8 engine steering wheel and four tires you can make any kind of car you want and i'm like could i get some seats or a chassis or a speedometer yes you can have any seats chassis and speedometer that you care to build yourself Mm-hmm. Or you can buy one of our add-on speedometer chassis and tires. Uh, mm. Not to mention all the bodywork. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's just... It's like they went through and carefully removed anything that might be... Any setting detail that might spark joy or be interesting or be weird... Every one of those has been removed with surgical precision 
and replaced with an ad for a different book. Well, so I it's think, like, yeah, go, go on, go on. Yeah, I'm uh, gonna well, have think, to pace myself. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we have a full episode to get through. Um, this, I think, that's <laughs> the the implication though is that they leave this much negative space because uh, you're supposed to fill it in yourself. They want to give you the framework in which you can run. Uh, I mean, of course, you can make the joke. Oh yeah, we got. Oh, you got science fiction in here. Yeah, we got. Sci- we got both kinds of science fiction: space operas and space westerns. And like, yes, uh, yeah, it does. It does feel like that uh, to a degree because obviously, being an Eclipse Space fan, I the fact that they they uh, uh, totally remove uh, cybernetics as a you know transformative technological element in a, in a society um, and things even like quantum entangled communications, you know, FTL communications and so on and so forth. Um, what kind of glossing over the alien stuff like, Oh yeah, the aliens, they, we have dogs and cat people. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's all you two, do. two alien races. And they all mm-hmm. have faces and are bilaterally symmetrical bipeds roughly on the same scale as, mm-hmm. as a human being. They don't come right out and say they're romanceable <laughs> NPCs. Yeah, and that, there's six other alien races, non non intelligent, non spacefaring races as well. Six just creatures, and uh, no, it doesn't discuss what sort of planets they live on, where they're from. It's, I mean, I do think we're getting ahead of ourselves because yeah. I I read all this stuff, and what it reminded me of was Original Traveler because Traveler mm-hmm. was the first role playing game I encountered. Not the first role-playing game I played. When I got to boarding school, there was a guy in the year above me who, aged 14 or 15, was already getting adventures published in White Dwarf magazine for Traveller. He was a massive Traveller head. He is a science fiction author, Angus McIntyre. These days, um, he's also, he's a citizen. He's not full-time. He's a citizen in somewhere. Um, He is a very old friend of mine. Hello, Angus, if you're listening. Um, He introduced me to the concept of Traveller, but he didn't play it with me, leaving me to wander off and find AD&D and an entirely separate GM. Um, And that's a whole other story. But I was aware of Traveller and kind of aware that it was this science fiction thing. And I was trying to put my finger on back then, what sort of science fiction is it? Is this Star Wars science fiction? Is it Star Trek science fiction? Is this Harry Harrison? I was very into the stainless steel rat books. Could I play a stainless steel rat game? And the answer was kind of, it is what you want it to be. It's mm-hmm. it's a toolkit. It's here's all the bits that you expect to find in science fiction of the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. And you put it together yourself. And this Mongoose rulebook really reminded me of that. It's still basically a toolkit in its basic form. And if you want to go out and find out about the Zodani, who, you know, the great adversaries to the Imperium, the Imperium are mentioned in passing a few times in this in the Mongoose rulebook. The Zodani, the great other people who are, as I as I recall, and it's been a while, I think they're psionic, or at least they're much more friendly to the psionics and stuff like that. Uh, you'll have to excuse me. It's been a while since I've, I've read Original Traveller, and there is three mentions of the Zodani in this rulebook, all of them in passing. At no point are the Zodani actually described. They have no in, uh, mention in the index. Uh, the Imperium, you know, the empire, essentially, the human empire, that's every, pretty much everything of what they call the, uh, uh, is it core space? The, um, the chartered the space. Chartered space. Chartered thank space. you. Um, the core setting, which is not described at all in this rulebook, 
uh, except for one paragraph. That has one entrance, one entry in the index, which re- uh, refers you to the Psionics chapter, where there is one paragraph about the Imperium and the Zodani. And it's not a long paragraph. And that's mm-hmm. about it for background. It's extraordinary. And everything else, you're just kind of trying to pick up from implication and inference and side mentions. Oh, the the space the space ports and the you know the dock, the mighty dockyards of of the Imperial fleet. Okay, so they've got a fleet, and there's mentions of all the various noble ranks you can have. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm like, wait, feudalism, feudalism, feudalism. yeah. But it's not a proper toolkit because, unlike something like GURP Space, which came out um, early 90, late eighties, early nineties, I think Lloyd Blankenship, work of genius, absolute what for me one of the best GURP source books ever published. That is hmm. literally a toolkit. It's like here are the components of your universe. Here's some polystyrene cement. Stick it together however you want. Mm-hmm. The Mongo stuff. It, it's like getting a big construction set or or a you know one of those model kits without the instructions. They don't really give you any sense of how to put it together. There's no, and this was the problem I had back in the day, there's no narrative structure to Original Traveller. And Traveller, I'm going to digress now, because you mentioned this is the Mongoose edition. There is a different current edition of Traveller. Traveller has forked. There are multiple (laughs) simultaneous editions of Traveller on the market. And we went with the Mongoose one because apparently it's better, or at least less less confusingly laid out. It's Um, also the newest. Yes, there is that too. That that was my, I'm like, I'll get the latest one. This seems mm -hmm. simple. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, Far Future Enterprises did Traveler 5, uh, and they their latest update, version 5.10, uh, was reprinted in 2019. Uh, yes. So, yeah, got a couple now, of different years. Yeah. Now, Far Future Enterprises is the company that owns Traveler, and I believe is still run by Mark Miller, who created Traveler back in the 70s. Wow. Um, and I used to know Mark back when I was running role-playing companies because he worked extensively as a print buyer also in the industry. If you wanted to find a good printer who'd do you a good price on a book, you'd go through Mark. Um, And he's a lovely person and a very talented game designer. I'm kind of interested now to see what direction that one goes in because this is, yeah, it's it's lacking, as I say, narrative structure. Mm -hmm. But it came out in the late 70s, so it's up against D&D and Tunnels and Trolls which don't have an implicit narrative structure either. They don't tell you how to tell the stories, but what they do is they say, you're in a dungeon, and that tells the story for you because you follow the path of the dungeon, and mostly it's kind of linear. Um, and then you kind of you get to a either a fork in the road or you go outside and there are roads to follow, or the adventure at that point starts telling you which way to go. And I'm sure there are good mongoose uh, published adventures for Traveller, but... Probably. I was I, I was racking my brains. There is no classic adventure or campaign for Traveller. You name any of the great role-playing games, there's at least one great campaign for it. Dungeons & Dragons obviously has Dragonlance and, and multiple others. Um, RuneQuest has uh, Griffin Mountain. Call of Cthulhu has Mask of Nalathotep or Shadows of Yogg-Sothos. Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay has The Enemy Within. They've all got one. I can't think of a single... The only travel adventures oh. I can think of are the ones that Angus McIntyre wrote in White Dwarf. Those are the only ones I can remember. 
Well, there's actually uh, Gareth Henryhan solved that problem, apparently. Oh. Um, the, the Pirates of Dranax is apparently a very, is a traveler campaign uh, that is an open sandbox where the players are privateers working for a king on the world of uh, uh, the King Oleb of Drydex uh, to restore the kingdom of Drydex to its former glory with a letter of Mark. Uh, and basically you go through adventures in any order, take as much time between modules as you want. Uh, and you're, you're trying to find treasures and, and do all these things to restore this empire, this kingdom. So um, this is yeah. travelers rules plus the beastie boys song, rhyming and stealing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a 10 part <laughs> sandbox campaign written by Ger- Gareth Hanrahan published in mongoose between 2011 and 2016. Uh, to be used with Mongoose Traveler first edition. So um, I've actually was researching campaigns recently in adventures, and that came up in multiple discussions of what is the best published RPG adventure of all time. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, Uh, that's that's Gareth's skill. And I I feel, I mean, these rules are fine. And it says that he did the rules. And... Mm -hmm. I know that Gareth can create worlds because I've read his novels and read his games. And if you gave him it, it, if you just took the choke chain and muzzle off him and said, do weird science fiction stuff, he would fill your yard with turds of brilliance. (laughs) But instead he, the dog metaphor got away from me. But instead, yeah. it, it just feels like they said, okay, now, the the number one rule of Traveler is nothing is new. And that, that was the vibe I got. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is the most conservative, nostalgic, old-fashioned game I've ever read about the future. That's it. Every, yeah, yeah. It yeah. feels perfectly designed for emulating licensed Star Trek novels from 1983. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like one of the things that stood out to me was uh, the this version. There's like I said, there's there's like over a dozen versions of Traveler, right, from 1977 to to 2022, and not all of them have the same rules. They broadly have the same kind of features, but like this is one of the editions that has rules to make your own starship, and uh, there's also rules for in this version of like buy a, a used starship and like oh well if you if you get it uh, the older it is the more quirks it'll have and the more and the bigger discount you'll get and you could get a ship that is 250 years old uh and it'll have 10 random randomly determined uh quirks uh some most of which are negative you know cost more to repair or some some systems won't work well blah 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 blah. but it's just like okay so this is a ship where you could sell a 250 year old spaceship and that's just like yeah why not you know, I, I, I created a character because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because char- Traveler's character generation is something of a mini game and it's interesting. And mm-hmm. it's you don't say, oh, I'm going to put, you know, some skills here, some skills here, beef up my app and I'm good to go. You it's like, OK, what's happened in your life to this point and roll on these charts to see mm-hmm. if you got into military school and oh, you didn't. So now you're going to have to, you know, go to these these lesser professions because he didn't get into the academy. And, and you know, by the time you came out, and, and uh, you know, the character I generated was a former corporate espionage agent slash scientist, uh, probably still kind of bitter that he didn't get into the university, but, you know, worked had to work his way up and then got so fed up with academic infighting that he became a corporate spy for the money. 
So I mean, it, you can create, you can, you can sort of karam like a, a pinball through this system and come up with an interesting character. I don't think you can die in character generation anymore, which was something that everyone knew about Basic Traveler. It, and I think that was because my guess is Millar wanted a press your luck element mm. in the original. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you know, you could go back and do another tour and rack up a bunch more skill points. And, you know, if you go to war, you are going to get all kinds of valuable experience and maybe a promotion or a medal or some shit. Or you might get your arm blown off or just be killed. Because mm -hmm. it's yeah. war, baby. <laughs> yeah, and there's elements of that in the in the modern system as as well. There's you can be very badly wounded. You can have parts of your body replaced with whatever alternatives are available at the time. But I think you're right. Death isn't isn't in there. And I think you're exactly right. It is a push your lucky mechanic. You you know what they've replaced it with? Did you catch what what uh, you can get it? instead of death? What have they replaced it with? Medical debt. That's right. The motivating factor driving your character to adventure in the space lanes could be medical wow. debt. And you, you're, and if you start off with a spaceship, it's probably mm. mortgaged to the um, hill. You, you can't yeah. also go to prison too, and you, it's a there's a random. You don't know exactly when you're going to get out. You have to roll to determine how long you stay in prison. I'm going to say I really like this. I mean, it is close to it's a, a massive expansion on the original system of character generation, uh, which is the, the generational thing. And eventually you call a point, you go, okay, at this point, my character will start adventuring or will mm -hmm. will enter the game. That's really nice. It's a much more complicated system. It's much crunchier. There's a lot more detail. There's a lot more intricacy. There's a lot more big random charts. And I had a sudden flash of realization um, as I was skimming through this, actually earlier this evening, trying to get a handle on it. And I just went, it's an OSR system. That's what it is. There's no background. There's loads and loads of random tables. All your encounters are on random tables. Your character generation, it's mostly random tables. Essentially, apart from the fact that it's not actually based on the D&D &D mechanics in any way, and it's not in the fantasy world, this is very OSR. Internally. And you go out there and you do what you want and you find the adventure and the GM will roll some dice and go, oh, you found, oh, it's, it's a farming planet and there's a lost child. Do you get involved? And they go, well, we've got to sell some stuff and our ship's broken down, so we need some money. Yeah, sure. We'll go and look for the lost child, whatever it mm -hmm. is, whatever result mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. come up on your um, – because it's an entirely D6 system, so it's they have the D66, which is the equivalent of percentile dice. So it's not a chart from 1 to 66. It's not 66 entries. It's – what would that I be? Think 36, 36 entries. Yeah. 36 entries. Like, there's got to be an easier way to do that. <laughs> well, only well, you want a game that only uses d6s. Like, this, uh, the basic resolution mechanic yeah. is rolling 2d6, uh, and then adding a modifier, trying to hit a target number usually of eight. Look, man, um, yeah. so many modifiers. Do, mm -hmm. If you want to do 36 options, here's the easier way to do it it's a chart followed by six subcharts, and it's like, oh, you roll your d6, and that tells you which subchart you're on, and the six subcharts have flavors and the subchart number six has cool stuff and subchart number one has bad stuff and the others just have you know like weird themed stuff 
But it there. can be Boom. fun, uh, Craig, <laughs> to roll a D66. It's yeah. fun to have a D66. Uh, I can see that it's more fun than many things in Traveler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if you want a game where you're seeing what the universe is going to throw at you, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's almost um, Powered by the Apocalypse style stuff in here. You can be very, very player-led. Um mm-hmm. And there's even stuff in the you character generation system I was not expecting for bonds, links to the other characters. Um, I I thought I was feeling really kind of upbeat and quite modern at that point. And then you get past that into, actually, it's the moment you're out of character creation into the skill list, because this is the skill list you have read a thousand times before. There mm-hmm. is nothing interesting in that skill list. There is nothing you have not seen before. Nothing original, nothing that gives the game any flavor whatsoever. It's just your basic list of the kind of skills you would probably expect if you read a bunch of science fiction from the 70s and 80s. And they're so grainy. Why do I need to have a skill for diplomat and a skill for persuade? And a skill for steward. This is all just basically different names for brown nosing people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah, no, it's um I think perhaps this is I mean, I I don't think perhaps this is definitely a legacy system where they want to make it I now I don't know how backwards compatible this is with older editions, but I imagine it's not that hard to like take older scenarios or material from a previous version of Traveler and run it and uh, adapt it for this version. So I think like part of Traveler is now it's just like, this is what Traveler is and it has ossified into this form and it can't I mean, change. Like this is what the fans want. Why would you want to play this Traveler as opposed to an older Traveler? What does this do better? Um, looking at, you know, the, the combat mechanics, I'm like, this feels very familiar, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, uh, you know, Mod stacking, significant action, minor action. I mean, it it looks like a very, very solid, well-balanced, well-thought-out implementation of the kind of system that everybody has, uh, that, that has been around since the 80s, at least. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, and and there's a part of me that's like, well, you know, why don't alligators, why are, are alligators largely unchanged since like the Precambrian or something? Well, they don't need to be. They are, they're a very good evolution for their niche. Is this that? Maybe. But I just want my game to do a little more for me in the year of our Lord 2023 <laughs> than... Here's a system that you, Greg Stolze, could have written when you were 19. And it would have been a little more rough around the edges, but it also probably would have had some flair to it. There's... But flair is limiting. Like, it, this is trying not to be... Um, when, you, when you add flair, when you add some sort of unique element to it, you're excluding other elements, right? And this is very much a blank canvas for people to Mm. write their own space operas and their own space Westerns. Um, Because that's the point. Like you want to have like, I think there's a large segment of role players that want a game where, okay, I'm going to jump on my ship and go to this random sector on the thing. And then they can like one of the uh, uh, virtues I think of traveler is that the fact that you can stat out an entire planet or star system in like one stat line, like they have that whole thing where you can tell what the atmosphere is, what the tech level of the civilization is. 
And so some players want to have the, to know that that is out there, that it is a, a real functioning uh, uh, setting outside of the spotlight around them and their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that's sort of a minority viewpoint these days. I mean, most games are definitely designed. I mean, around, not I, around that, but like, I think that's the appeal for traveler players. Um, I remember people telling me to do that. And they're like, design this way. And I did. And I, and no one liked it and no one wanted it. And people think they want this sort of highly agnostic, you know, the system is not biased. The system is just important. It's like when, when people talk about the invisible hand of the marketplace and they're like, no, no, no. If we just trust the market and set it free, it will produce the best possible outcomes. And then they trust the market and set it free. And you wind up with that town in Maine that got overrun by bears because there were no laws about leaving your trash out. You, you wind up with medical debt. Yeah, you wind up with medical debt. Mm -hmm. So, but there are. I think there is a market for this. I mean, the game's been hugely influential. Um, Mm -hmm. Notably, the video game Elite, which I don't think was a big noise, particularly in the states in the eighties, but over here was a core text. It came out on the BBC B microcomputer, which was crucially the one that almost all schools had. If your school had, you like can't a- fool me. There was never any such animal, James. <laughs> Read you your almost history had books, me go- child. Um, you almost had me going because your English accent, but I am sure that never existed in my well, heart. I know that can't have been. They the were, BBC did not make a computer. The BBC branded the computers. They didn't build them. <laughs> Ap- Acorn designed them. Um, they were majestic. <laughs> they were quite expensive, but they were majestic beasts, and that was what Elite was originally released on, and it was. Re- real-time wireframe graphics and space combat. And I don't know anyone who saw it at the time and their jaw was not hanging down by their navel because this was just the level of graphics. The the fluidity of the graphics was unheard of at the time. You, the machines were not built to do this. And then the fact that there was an entire universe within the game and, but it's basically traveler is what you're doing. You're, you've, you've got a small ship, you dock uh, with spaceports, you buy cargoes, you fly into different systems, you fight off pirates, occasionally you fight off the police, you fight off weird aliens, you sell the cargo, hopefully at a profit, you buy better lasers or better engines or whatever for your ship or even a bigger ship, and so on and so on and so on. And that's... How weird are the aliens? uh, You never get to see the aliens because this is a game running in Mm -hmm. 32K. It is running in no space at all. Seriously, look up a video of the original Elite on uh, YouTube and tell, remind yourself this is 1983 or 1984. It is gobsmacking. And then, of mm-hmm. course, it's the latest version of Elite. I have friends who bought VR headsets just so they could play Elite Dangerous and feel that they're there because you feel that there's a whole universe out there. And to a lesser extent, No Man's Sky as well is very Traveler-esque. It's a game of exploration. It's finding what's mm-hmm. out there in in this universe. And I think if there are two ways to approach this Traveler, you can either buy the rule book and then immediately drop $300 on source books, or you can treat it like a moddable PC and you can go in and tweak and add your own stuff. And that's what the people who, I believe the Expanse, Started off as a Traveller campaign. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure um, a number of other science fiction works, science fiction authors have said they played Traveller in their youth. They were they were influenced by it. Because it's a very, very moddable system. You can 
tweak it and alter it to be whatever I you mean, want it to, to be. To me, say, calling this a moddable system is like saying, you know what the most versatile ingredient in cooking is? Water. You can use it to make soup. You can poach an egg. You can use it. You can put it in cakes to make them moist. So many recipes have water. That's why water is the core of cooking. And I'm like, man, if you are going to ask me to invent all the themes of the game, invent all of what it's about, invent all the twists, invent all the plots, invent all the characters, invent all the aliens, invent all the interesting tech, invent all the secrets... Why don't I just invent some rules that fit all the other stuff I'm inventing? Why do you have to sell me water? Well, it's because you're good at rules, Greg. There's a lot of people out there who regard the rules as the difficult stuff to create mm-hmm. and don't want to do that and don't want to have to create the massive equipment lists. And there's a hundred pages of just starship and vehicle stuff in, in here. I'm, I'm going to jump to another point. I, I do have another because I said... Back in the day, I couldn't find the narrative structure. I couldn't work out what you were meant to do with Traveller. And this is later on, after I'd played a bunch of D&D, I was editing a fanzine, I had my copy of Traveller, and it's like, I, I should write a Traveller adventure. I don't know how. I don't know what the policies would do. Mm-hmm. And I finally worked it out. And it's if you're the kind of person who came out of Star Wars, and bear in mind, this is a late 70s game, very influenced by Star Wars. If you came out of Star Wars going, the Force, pff, I want to be Han Solo, Traveller is your game. Traveller is the game of being Han Solo. Basically, mm-hmm. you're in a clapped-out st- starship. You're trading stuff. Some of it's semi-legal. You're getting caught up in schemes. That's what it is. At no point have I ever heard anyone else say that. I'm sure other people have, but I've never heard anyone else say that. But that's essentially what Traveller is. You're a freebooter on the edge of, of space, grafting a living however you can to keep your ship flying and to get away from the problem you've just caused and on to cause even more entertaining problems further down the line. Doing like that, it's brilliant. It really works. And suddenly everything falls into place and you understand why all the rules are there and how it all works. Without that, it is mm-hmm. just, as you say, it's water. You're giving it a lot of credit, I think. Um, I don't know. I, so there was... Uh, there was well, in 1977, read- it was revolutionary, right? Oh, because yeah. Compared... But it's not 1977, Ross. <laughs> Look at your collar, Ross. It's not 1977. Well, I Look mean... Look down. Is the carpet orange? It's not 1977. Well, I mean, there's a, that sort of inertia. You know, people know this. And, like, I think there's a huge demand for science fiction that is, like... It's basically just... It's 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 spaceships. That's the that's the killer tech, right? Like, it's it's what a spaceship can do. And like having a rule set, like uh, there is a website, travelermap.com that I'm looking at right now, which maps out charted space and you can zoom into individual planets and it will show you what's on individual planets and like have a little stat block for each planet that is statted. But then you can zoom out and you can see how many there are and there are thousands and then you can zoom out and you can see the entire galaxy to have that freedom of like, cool. Yeah, and exactly. And that's the to like let's buy something on one planet and go to another planet and sell it and make a profit um and oh. that's the game and dealing with that difficulty uh uh it, you know this kind of age of sales sort of mercantile expedition but in space uh if is, only we can yeah. find a perfect triangular trade <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. all right i will i will tell you guys the one plot that came to my mind 
as as I was reading Traveler. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, engaging it on its own terms. My first idea for an adventure is you get two spaceships, one of mortgaged both to the hilt, and one is an absolute piece of shit, and one is as good as you can get it. And you you just, you know, beg borrowers steal as much money as you can for ship A, the A plus ship. And then you cl- and then you fly it out somewhere dump it where no one will find it and file a false report that it was that it went down with all hands on board right that everybody on board died while in fact they've they've transferred to the D minus ship and then you cool it off for a while come back with the D minus ship and declare it fully paid off salvage and now you've ju- and then you you dump the D minus ship, default on it, let the skip chasers take it. You now have you. Th- this was the most exciting thing I could think of to do with Traveler <laughs> was large scale insurance fraud. <laughs> well, I mean that's the thing. It, it, that's the virtue of the system is that it, it you can project that on there and make it a thrilling campaign about it. If, if uh, everyone was into it, but like, I think there is this idea of a system um, that supports it, it's, it's almost in like MMOs before MMOs were a thing. Like that, the idea that like you only exist in one particular part of the MMO, this vast world at any given time, but you know that there's things going on over there that it feels real to you. It feels like you're part of a larger thing, like which you don't feel in say like a single player game. Um, so why are people playing Traveler Tabletop when EVE Online exists? Well, they don't want to do spreadsheets. Maybe they don't want to get to that granular thing. Uh, they they don't want to do spreadsheets and they're playing this game. Did we read the same one? <laughs> Did you read about how testing to be a fortune teller is basically an exercise in, in accounting? I One of my notes is, ladies, get you a man who loves you the way Traveler loves mathematics. I mean, like, also, I think there's a lot of there's also a lot of adjacent fun to role playing games, uh, fun adjacent to actually playing it. Right. Like there's mm-hmm. I know I have friends who love making characters for certain mm-hmm. role playing games. And certainly like the this uh, I've played a, a game similar in this in character. Uh, Cyberpunk has a similar system, right? The life path system in Cyberpunk, where you see what this character's career is like, uh, what what their life was like before they become a player character, before they become an adventurer. Um, and and rolling up and getting these little stories of these you know spacers and what you know shenanigans they get up into is a lot of fun uh, or it can be a lot of fun for for uh, some players uh, and building out spaceships too like a lot of this book is just spaceship stat blocks and maps mm. and like schema or schematics you know like seeing what each type of spaceship is like and yeah. um, so there's a lot of people who are like oh yeah I love this ship this is the- you got to min max this got to min max that. Uh, by, you know, building this exact kind of spaceship. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, um, a less directed type of role-playing game that has been, uh, again, the, the paradigm of the Mongoose edition is to just update the rules and streamline it, but it's still essentially the same experience that was offered in 1977. I think that's like, if you change that experience, it's not going to be traveler anymore. Yes, and, and we made the same point about Call of Cthulhu, the latest edition of mm-hmm. Call of Cthulhu as well. It's very much aimed at people who have played Call of Cthulhu for a while and are looking for the same experience, 
but in some way better or different or changed mechanically or slicker mm-hmm. mechanically or with more background information, but fundamentally the same core experience. And yes, you know, when I, I say this rule book felt it reminded me an awful lot of the same books that I remember reading that had been published in the late seventies. That's not intended either as praise or a criticism. It's just, it's a simple statement. Tonally, they are very, very similar. Mechanically, they are very, very similar. Um, and in terms of what you are expected to do with the game, very, very similar. Again, judging a, a, a you know reviewing a role playing game or judging it by like something that has like nearly like literally uh, almost fifty years of publication history um and and it's trying to maintain some kind of continuity in that i i mean i think it, it this this particular edition of it uh achieves this goal admirably it's just yeah it's obviously I, I, it's not a kind of game i would i would play and if i'm gonna play science I mean, fiction who, yeah what can you imagine a person under the age of 20 playing this game unironically under the age of 30 uh, under the age of 30, sure. Like, I think a lot of it is also like the travelers also heavily informed by um, science fiction novels, uh, like particularly like space operas. And like they, they Mark Miller listed a number of books that influenced traveler um, things like Hammer Slammers by David Drake, uh, Space Viking, um, you know, a lot of these 1960s to 70s era uh science fiction novels about people in spaceships going to distant planets and doing things and just kind of focusing on on that grand uh galactic view uh, of things um and so i think people who are very interested in that type of science fiction and want a planet of the week campaign essentially would Mm. could and also like crunching numbers and building spaceships and having detailed career or his you know personal backstories um, um yeah. All right, I'll. This is this is a Kevel where I'm like maybe I am asking for something that is is you know a bridge too far for mm-hmm. this kind of '70s design structure. But when you were talking about oh this is the game for being Han Solo, I'm gonna yeah. dial back and talk about an article I read that made an impression on me uh, called. Everyone beautiful, nobody horny. Mm. And it was about the MCU. And it's like, yeah, what is going on with all these characters who are physically perfect and depicted in these very attractive ways? And yet there's no, like, there's nothing raw or sensual or, you know, horny about it. It's all weirdly chaste. And, uh... The fray, a phrase from that article where it was talking about Snake Plissken in Escape from New York. And they're like, yeah, there's never a scene where Snake has sex, but the character definitely has powerful sex haver energy. And similarly, <laughs> in Star Wars, you know, you're, if you look at the main character, you're like, Luke Skywalker's a virgin. Leia, mm, probably. Han Solo, hell no. <laughs> and it's, yeah, yeah. Chewbacca, oh, you know he's <laughs> you, you know. Um, but you could write a book where you you could have written this book in a dozen minor ways to 
accept the reality that human beings are highly sexual animals, and there's none of that. You could have stuck it in a dozen places in character generations, like, oh, here's here's where your terrible love affair happened, and uh, you know, or here here's the the dame that got away, or here's where you know you were in love and it didn't work out because of their parents. But there, I that's not there. That's not there at all. And so you cannot have a Han Solo who's not cocky. Mm-hmm. And uh, Traveler doesn't seem that cocky. Traveler seems to be like, well, well, Jimmy, if you handle your money very carefully, you might find that golden triangular trade and you'll finally be able to upgrade from the far trader to the fat trader. It's going to take a while and you're going to have to you're going to have to skip those avocado toasts and latte drinks. And you'll, you'll pay off your medical debt. You you'll know. pay off your medical <laughs> debt. You'll yeah. get your ship out of mortgage. I'm like, man, yeah. I don't even want to deal with my real mortgage. Don't give me a <laughs> pretend mortgage. Yeah. People say Red Markets is a depressing game, but yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. Beaten by the punch by decades. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I tend to think if... If you want a game that gives you an entire pre-mapped universe or the ability to have this entire mm-hmm. pre-mapped universe and everything laid out in, in very concrete and understandable mechanical forms, you don't want that wild narrative stuff. You want something that's quite locked down. You're uh. The personality type of the kind of GM I'm extrapolating. Um, and I apologize to Angus, who I have... Uh, tied implicitly to this this game and this he is not that kind of person at all and neither is his science fiction but you know if if i think if you're drawn to this kind of system you're also drawn to the kind of story that everything is that's why you've got all these tables everything's pre-planned for you everything is organized every you know where everything Uh is there's nothing messy in there like and so risking you know two or three girlfriends boyfriends it's never canonically established what Han Solo is into, um, you know, running into each other and something like that. I think for for you and me, that would be catnip. That would be a fantastic evening's entertainment. But I think mm-hmm. for a lot of traveler campaigns, it's like, no, let's go and see if we can capture the bounty on those space pirates and pay mm-hmm. off some okay. more debt. And it, I it is about the numbers. You- it's the numbers within the game and the numbers within the world. If you wanted that sort of, you know, PG-13 space adventure, I'm like, okay, cool. You d- you're you not as horny as Stolze. Well, good for you. That's probably going <laughs> to play out well for you in the long term in your investment portfolio. But even within the boundaries of, okay, we're going to do PG-13 space opera, you could have a you know an appendix of okay gms only here are the here's the weird stuff where you're just like okay you've but you've got your load of of exotic verse and you're traveling to this aquatic planet here's the twist that's gonna blow their minds you encounter a kardashev three godlike alien like you from next generation or you know you encounter the Borg. Well, I mean that material exists. This this isn't Star Trek. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, we just there's a 600 page campaign that is like highly acclaimed. Um, I think it's just not in here. Like I think the 
idea is yeah well i mean that's a business model right i don't want to spend 60 bucks and not get any weird shit that's also like part of traveler's legacy of being a set 19 originally you know like they they've stayed true to their 1970s roots by this war game procedural manual for the main core rule book. And then like, cause the, I, I think there's this implication, this idea that you have to keep the narrative elements out of the core rule book. And then you put all the narrative stuff in a narrative only book. You have to have this like stuff quarantined from each other. So like this book is safe for players to read and the other, while the other books are GM only, I think uh, there is kind of, I think the design philosophy behind it. Um, very, well, very if old. This school, is, yeah. If this is going to be the safe for players only, uh, you know, no cool stuff allowed clubhouse edition, then I'm like, well, did it have to be 260 pages long and a hardback? And financially, it's like, yes, it what what is the the bit from Watsy? We are basically in the the business of selling players handbooks and everything else is just a loss leader. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I like that model. At all, I'm especially not sure I like that model for smaller companies. I'm like, I don't want to have to buy multiple books before I get the good stuff. Uh, to me, that's like what well, traveler players want: fifty pages of starships. All right, okay. uh, starship schematics. Like they love. Like I, mean, I, I remember seeing so many uh, traveler. Like okay. this is the 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 tug cargo ship X eighteen, you know, or whatever. Like just seeing random old. Traveler supplements in the used uh, section of my uh, local game store. Yeah, no, I mean, they've been selling these for 50 years because people like seeing schematics of spaceships, <laughs> you know, and their their spaceship schematics are nice. Yeah, I did yeah. like the the spaceship mm-hmm. schematics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people like good. thinking about what they're going to do with this stuff. I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. the it's I think I've talked before about the Games Workshop hobby. The, you know, the underlying right. principle, and Games Workshop are quite upfront about this, the Games Workshop hobby is not about playing Warhammer. The Games Workshop hobby is about collecting miniatures, modifying the miniatures, painting the miniatures, and po- and playing the game. And playing the game is, is kind of, it's the end of the process. An awful lot of people never get there. They think they're going to. It's kind of a justification for the minis and, and for spending all of the money. But, you know, in terms of the actual time you spend playing the game, it's dwarfed by the rest of it. And I think Traveller and a number of other role-playing games are very much in that space of you spend far more time thinking about the game and planning the game and planning the cool stuff you could put into it. And Mm -hmm. that includes all the – I did enjoy the rules for building spaceships in this. I thought that was very nicely done. It reminded me a lot of – Car wars and the car construction step in that. I could see mm. a bored afternoon. I could put together some lovely spaceships and they would be lovely. And I would have a lovely time thinking about the adventures that I and my friends would have on them. And then I would never run the game. Exactly. Yeah. I'd still get value for money out of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, as far as I'm concerned, job, job done. Yeah. Um, in that way, a lot of it is very well put together in terms of, as I, I, I likened it to a construction set, there's an awful lot you can do here. You can spark an awful lot of ideas. You can drift off and think about things to do and come up with lovely ideas. Whether you ever actually play them is almost beside the point. We've all, I'm sure, got libraries of role-playing games that we will never play. Oh, but no. at the same time, we are very fond of and pull out and read from time to time and go, oh, cool, like, oh, I could do I could do such a thing with that. You never well, will. The closet drama aspect of role-playing games is some someone called it that i think it was probably robin laws um, <laughs> probably yes 
of, you know, well, you know, some people, you know, buy games and never play them, and, but enjoy reading them. And that's okay, because you can't stop them. And if you did stop them, every game designer would starve to death. But I'm like, if this is going to be my closet drama game, I want more drama. I want, I don't know. It just. Well, on the, on the two, on the next to last page, they have not only an ad for Pirates of Drenax, but another campaign, Deep Night Revelation. So like, again, and then they have a a whole line of adventures from rescuing slaves to saving underwater cities, from investigating a vicious murder to recovering a spacecraft on top of an active volcano. Traveler has that advantage that suits every style of play. So yeah. I mean, it's very much, yeah, Star Trek Planet of the Week, like a different thing every, every episode. Yeah. This feels to me like if I walked into a Dairy Queen and they, and I said, I want a dilly bar and they're like, cool, we'll get you that dilly bar. But first you have to eat this handful of Brussels sprouts. Well, I, I mean, it shows this sort of like generational, well, I mean, maybe not generation, but like broad change in design philosophy, like back when travelers made, you made a general purpose role-playing game, an engine that could power adventures of all kinds. And then every, it kind of handled everything sort of well, but like now we want more tailored games. Like I, uh, I was actually thinking of another role-playing game while I was reading this, uh, which I've run a small campaign of scum and villainy, which is a blades in the dark, uh, sci-fi game where you're all Han Solo or like, (laughs) you're a firefly, uh, crew. And they have like various, and it's 370 pages, but like, it has the Blades in the Dark mechanics. It has all the playbooks for the types of crew, you know, the dock, the smuggler, the uh, uh, the muscle, uh, the mystic. Um, and then that like all this and it does have setting stuff for like one uh, system with like six planets. You're just bouncing between six different planets in the default setting. Um, and it's very focused on being like a, you know, a criminal scumbag in space. Cosmic with one space. bags. Yeah. Cosmic dirt bags. You have one ship. It's like the crew for blades in the dark. It's a shared that resource for all the player characters that has its own stat block or uh, stat sheet. And um, yeah, it, it's a, a very different experience uh, than traveler, but you could do a, a, a scum and villainy type campaign in traveler, but it would be kind of like your characters are all very similar to each other. They have different skills, but they've had, you know, four to 20 years uh, before they became adventurers and they all use roughly the same rules, except maybe the one psionic you have on, on uh, the curve. Uh, yeah. Did, was I the only one who read the psionics rules? And I'm like, these feel like they were like, someone was forced to insert these, but didn't really want to, because <laughs> it's like, Oh, it's really hard to be a psionicist. And also it's illegal. And also they're really hard to use. But also, if you do manage the one in a thousand chance of becoming a psionicist, you do get these things where, oh, yeah, normal people are basically just playthings to you. If you have, once you have telepathy, if you get suggestion and assault, it's like, oh, yeah, a lot of stuff that would be very challenging to a non psionic is just, you're going to hand wave through that shit like Obi Wan. I yeah. mean, and, or, or more, it's, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, if you if you roll this well, then they'll even obey suicidal suggestions. It's like, hey, man, you don't want to keep me out of here. What you really want to do is take that gun, put it in your mouth and pull the trigger. You know, you want to come on. That's a good fella, which that could be creepy. That could be interesting. That could be weird. I approve. But it's a minor 
tiny element of this that is so walled off and restricted. And I don't know. I mean, okay, a, a thing that interested me was in the psionics rules about teleportation, right? And they're like, okay, if you teleport up far enough, you get really, really, really hot because your potential energy increases and it expresses as friction. And if you teleport down really far, you get really, really, really cold. And I'm like, okay. I can see that you really wanted teleportation to generally suck, but the way you've chosen to restrict it, the choke you put on it was a really fascinating physics-based one mm -hmm. that I did not see coming. And I'm like, if everything was that unique and well thought out, I would love this. I would be jealous of it. But it's, you know, it's like these three little drips of melted ice cream on my handful of Brussels sprouts that I have to eat first. I like Brussels sprouts. I'm just going to say that. Um, I'm not sure I'm, I like these Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts are good if they're if they're cooked correctly. But I'm talking like raw Brussels sprouts with the stem where it's really bitter. <laughs> oh, no. mm. Yeah, yeah. I think we're we're taking this analogy perhaps too far. But I, I, just, I think, I mean, you're looking for, for the, the, you know, the cool original stuff in a game that I don't think has any need for it. Mm -hmm. I think Traveller is very much the game for a known universe. You know, and if the GM wants to inject really cool new stuff in there, then they are free to do it. But most of it is, this is all predictable stuff. The technology is known. The races are known for the most part, unless you're out at the, the outer rim you know, prospecting new planets. Um, most of this stuff is is described or it is familiar from existing works of science fiction or even from works of science fiction that were influenced by the game. And if you want that style of game, then this is absolutely the system to, to run it under. And I mean, my I guess my instinct is, and people want that? I I have said before that I feel like the killer app of the tabletop role-playing game is the way it can encompass wildness. The way you can just go off on some wacky tangent, or you can insert some crazy thing, or the GM says, ah, hell with it, you know? The, the disease you're fighting is now self-aware, and the game can absorb it in a way that a computer game cannot. It, it can deal with radical injections of imagination and this does not feel like a game that embraces radical injections of imagination at the table it's a game that says if you want to do radical injections of imagination do so while you're building your setting in the privacy of your own home but don't expect that from me and i'm like man why are you getting into Tabletop role-playing games, the most chaotic form of storytelling, if you don't love chaos. This is why what this is why I do everything I do for chaos. <laughs> uh, Leighton Warhammer fan, huh? Um, <laughs> Not really, but I've heard the phrase. Yeah. Uh I think the, the what Traveler does, I think their their idea behind it was to like here are all the constants, uh, uh, the the standard settings 
of this galaxy of this setting. Here's all like if you go to the if you decide to go in a random direction, go to this planet, you you have a general sense of like how how the authorities work, how the bars work, how all the things work. So anything that is not like this, you know, the GM has customized and, you know, it's worth poking like this is like a design philosophy in which like. You know, sometimes player characters don't know where the GM has put the adventure, like sometimes the or the, where, you know, the emphasis of the adventure is like and when the when the GM spends too long describing something in a traveler game, like, oh, well, that's the special thing. We need to go check that out because he spent more than one sentence to describe. It. It's not a class five world or whatever. It's oh, it's this world. Huh? OK, well, we'll check that out. Um, so anytime your yeah. GM is is saying. Are you guys sure you don't want to go back and check out the candle store some more? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> no, we want to go back to the tavern and check out the go- the cobalt in the tutu. Yeah. You mentioned <laughs> once two scenarios ago in which we will not shut up about now. <laughs> yeah, so like, you know, every single world has its own tavern, has its own, you know, baron or leader or whatever. So when you when the GM mentioned a candle store, which no other planet has, you're like, well, <laughs> maybe the candle store is important, huh? Like, and so I think that's kind of like uh, uh, the idea behind it is to, to create because, uh, you know, the real world, you know, like everyone has presumably some idea of how the real world works, you know, like, oh, your cars need gasoline. If you call, you know, the authorities, they'll show up in a reasonable amount of time. Usually if you, you know, but like in a science fiction setting or a fantasy setting, you don't know what the like what the conventions are. You don't know what the norms are. And this is like here are what the conventions here, are the norms of of the galaxy. So anything uh, so you can alter it. But like, here are some conventions to work against. Uh, so the players all have a shared set of assumptions about the setting, which can be very difficult, like in Eclipse Phase. Yeah. The design yeah. philosophy is here is everything bland and mm-hmm. everything typical and everything ordinary. Now you go and put in things that might be worth playing with. Or I, buy our 600-page campaign of the Pirates yeah. of Trinax, you know. Uh, you know of course. We, we, we live in a yeah. society, uh, so <laughs> we uh, yeah. have to well, keep yeah. selling books. So. Yeah. But as a, as a framework, yes, it's the dull stuff. The rulebook does all the dull stuff for you. And you could, inju- if you want to write in the weird stuff, and I'm thinking particularly about Verna Vinge's, um, which I'm sure I've just mispronounced, A Fire Upon the Deep, which – Oh, um, yeah. Uh, came out in the 80s, I think, which, you know, is a very, it's great science fiction. And on one level is quite traveler-esque, and on another there are super intelligent ascended AIs at war at the far, and time works differently in different bits of the, and it's, but you could build that stuff on top of this framework without mm-hmm. very much difficulty. And the other thing at the far end from that is if I had a bunch of mates around and someone said, let's, let's play a role-playing game. And I go, I've got nothing prepared. They're just, oh, you know, you could do it with Traveller. Traveller has enough charts in there. You could just go, well, character generation in itself is a fun group activity. And then you've got a starship. Go off, fly out, I'll roll some dice. See, oh, wow. Yeah, okay, you've invented that. You've discovered this hollow asteroid with the remains of a, a former mining operation that seems to have been, whatever. You can create that stuff out of the book very, very quickly, and it'll be fun. I'm not sure I would ever do that because this is not my style of game. I came out of Star Wars. I did not want to be Han Solo. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to be Obi-Wan, but um, uh, who I'm pretty sure fucks. 
<laughs> just to I return mean, to our previous I, I, discussion. I, I, I believe that, you know, there's a whole series about him in his younger days. You could probably uh, I'm sure watch. there's a lot, a lot of slash fiction out there yeah. as well. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, so I, it's not what I'm looking for in a role-playing game, mm-hmm. but I know enough people, I know a lot of people who do look for that kind of thing. And I think yeah. actually pick up on that level, it, yeah. it works really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you know, it's a little bit dated. That does not necessarily count against it. Still, yeah. there are there are great cars from the 1970s and 1980s that are <laughs> enormously fun to drive. Mm-hmm. I I also realize um, the whole character creation system with the 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 you know the life uh, and getting to pick how many years your character uh, has gone through uh, before joining the game uh, means that there's really it's not like D and D right like if you're in the middle of a D and D campaign and you start at level one and now you're at level seven. Um, it's going to feel, you know, in the new player joins, uh, it's going to e- either feel kind of, you know, it could feel cheap. Uh, it's like, oh, he gets to be level seven too, even though I spent a year with this character or whatever. Um, and in traveler though, like it has this balancing system where if you make your character too old, well, they're old and they get all these massive age penalties and geriatric drugs are illegal and I'm or super like, expensive. Is, yeah. What like, is the pretext I mean, I'm just used to living in a society where old people own everything and have amassed all the political power. I'm like, how would drugs that help you be old be illegal instead of subsidized? Well, they're not old. They're not illegal. They're just expensive and you can't and it's hard to get them. So like you have to stay in Mm. one place to get them. Mm. You have to go stay near your pharmacy, your space pharmacy um, to get your prescription. (laughs) Um, but like that, that's a bouncy thing. Like you can just make a new character and you can specialize your character. Like, Oh, we need a, we need a gunner for our ship. Okay. Well, I'll make a, you know, a former space pilot, you know, a gunner and, uh, you can sort of angle your character. So there's, there's, and also characters don't advance very fast. Like you can improve your skills, but your character is basically where they're going to be for the, their playing career. It's not like D and D where you it's have not this, zero to hero. Yeah. It's not zero to hero. Exactly. Yeah. Which is also, I appreciate that because that means like, your character uh, goes through a lot of experiences, but like, yeah, it's balanced. Like any new players joining in and can, and can have in the fun and, and participate as an equal. Um, okay. So, well, I'll yeah. throw this out there, which is a, a thought that occurred to me just this very second, which is why I find uh, dialogue with the two of you. So valuable <laughs> is what it pulls out of me. Um, but that I'm like, there isn't anything analogous to D and D's feats or uh you know there's there's no nothing like you know powers and wild talents or disciplines in vampire there is no stuff that's like i've picked up this narrative special ability and the closest is the psychic stuff which is all very exactly what you would think science fiction psychics would be like uh and it's all handled through skills that you have to buy individually. And so there are that that sort of moratorium on wildness extends to a very dry uh, uh, rule set as well. If this had the dearth of setting that you've established as, oh no, it's a positive that there's nothing that stands out as being worthy of your attention, but... You could get, you know, like, oh, well, I can get this, I, you know, I got this skill where I can shoot a gun in each hand uh, or, you know, I've I've got this skill of uh, I always win at cards 
or and and it could even be stranger stuff of uh you know people trust me more when i'm telling the truth um or people trust me more when i'm actually lying and think i'm lying when i'm mm-hmm. telling the truth you could do any number of cool interesting flavorful you know sort of like the the gun sticks in feng shui or the gambling and and you know the individual character types in feng shui get weird individual narrative shticks and there's nothing like that here your well, character is just a pile of numbers and some contacts i mean you do have the events and mishaps which personalize characters somewhat like they every personalize free. them but they don't affect the rules much other than oh because your heart was broken you now have one more point in the skill <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean it's not a game where characters are yeah, you're you're meant to be like yeah a, a person like you like okay. they don't even have cybernetics as like a thing like you can't have like uh, you know uh, uh, cybernetic arms or weapons like cyberpunk characters have a more mm-hmm. uh, uh, augmentation uh, than a traveler despite the, you know the spaceship difference so it is yeah. it's a weirdly seventies eighties version of science fiction mm-hmm. that it's yeah. that it's based on um, there's an awful lot of stuff and I'm sure later supplements do do cover it and update bring up you know the ideas from the last 30 years or so but yeah it does feel the universe the futuristic universe it's set in feels old-fashioned yeah yeah again i think it's just derived from these um like there's a lot of science fiction fans who are like they like the space opera stuff and that's it right like they don't want Mm -hmm. to deal so much with like and and part of it is also like if you made a science fiction setting, a role-playing game where it's like, it's a galactic, it's a galaxy wide. We have all these technologies and like, there's only so much you can like document in your setting in terms of like transformative, like you can only focus on, on so many things, right. As a writer, you can't just like, Oh yeah. In the far future, it's going to be so uh, totally different that I'm going to have to write an encyclopedia to cover every aspect of, you know, uh, everything from art and food and politics and, technology like it's affected everything it's totally different you know like you can only cover so much so you have to uh uh, stop somewhere uh and this is like yeah spaceships are cool we're gonna have spaceships and this is a spaceship game about spaceships uh like yeah um yeah yeah um but yeah it's 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 definitely a product of its time and um i think uh there's a place for it and I, i i like that it created a different paradigm to role playing games than d uh than d and d um and but yeah it's it, i i i mean i'm with everybody here i i i not played it i'm not really interested in playing it but i i appreciate it whereas i wouldn't play it and i don't particularly appreciate it <laughs> but that's that's just that that is that's my problem that is my burden to carry not everything has to be beloved by every person this is true. certainly true yeah. oh they also have other uh, uh supplements for vehicles robots um, you know, the, the high guard, which is, uh, let's see here, space, more, more advanced spacecraft design systems, um, and third Imperium, which is the galactic empire behind the claw, which is a classic area of the charted space universe, uh, corporations, alien species, powerful factions. Oh, the central supply catalog. I got to have more gadgets. Uh-huh. Yeah. Got to have gadgets. So, yeah. Well, so part I mean, of it, we're I mean, only seeing the bare bones version of it, right? Like this is just the minimum shit you need to run the game, but this is by far 
there's there's all the all this stuff is out there. It's just you got to pay yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I walked into a restaurant and they served me a plate of bones, I would not care how good the bones were. I'm like, give me some meat. Come on, well, just a little. Oh, we'll give little. you the meat. You just got to pay extra. The meat, it's uh, yeah. a premium. Yeah, and it it is a a slight failing in the format that we have agreed on that we basically review a game based on its core rulebook. Um, mm-hmm. Because a lot of people will look outside that to the whether it's the published material or the online communities or the downloadable stuff or the legacy stuff or whatever it is, we just look at the rule book and evaluate it on on that. And this is a very dry rule book. Um, there was just flipping through my notes. There was one other thing I, I noted, which is I mentioned that it reminded me a lot of the OSR, and a lot of that comes down to the emphasis on guns and and combat and fighting stuff. Um, and the science fiction series that uh, got, particularly in the game space, got a lot of prominence over the, the, the last few years is Mass Effect. I hated Mass Effect because in Mass Effect, you know, it's this massive, in a very similar way, massive, elaborate, set out universe, interesting races, interesting dynamics. And the game then throws problems at you, which can all be solved by shooting at them until they stop being problems. And I felt there was a tendency within these rules, and it is an old school trait, that a lot of problems will be solved by shooting at them rather than by the stuff that we like, the negotiation, the diplomacy, the the personal level stuff, the intricacy, the heists, the capers, the all of that, that for us, I think, brings role-playing alive. But we are not everyone. There are a lot of people who do mm-hmm. like role-playing fundamentally by playing I shoot at it and rolling some dice and and seeing what happens, and that's right. I'm not going to say that's wrong. That's a perfectly valid one. If you're enjoying it, fun. it's but. it's fun. I you know don't yuck on someone else's yum. Yeah, I don't even think the traveler uh, player base is like I want to shoot at it. It's like I want to go buy this stuff and take it to another port and make a profit and pay off my medical debt. And that, you know, like, yeah. which, is also, which yeah. is also fine. Uh, and then we have to shoot at some people cause they're trying to steal our, our, you know, space lumber or whatever. They um, are cutting into our bottom line. They are cutting. I into not our have it. Yeah. yeah uh, obviously. I, I yeah. will point out one thing that I did notice in the combat section on page 78, where, cause I always look at the grappling systems cause I don't, innately hate them like most people and one thing you can do is throw an opponent 1d meters and that's, all, that's a that's a that's a hell of a throw uh, i'm like so on average i'm if i choose to throw some gravity yeah this is assuming normal gravity i checked and it's it's like wow yeah i want wuja traveler now where it's just everyone is making 20 foot jumps. You throw a guy, he lands on the next roof over. So I mean, yeah, I think that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the secret power gaming way for traveling. Just make a wrestler and throw all your problems can away. You, can you imagine the GM when you're like, I throw this guy six meters? What are the falling rules now that I have pitched him off the roof? I'm going to throw the space pirate. I'm going to throw the second space pirate. (laughs) It's just just going to be this gelatinous pile of bloodied ex-space pirate three stories down. (laughs) Uh, Oh, God, that horrible song, It's Raining Men, it came true. uh, (laughs) Oh. 
<laughs> well, on actually, that note, yeah, uh, it's raining men is actually a lovely song. I was, it is. Be, I was just yeah. doing a, I was doing a bit there. Yeah. Um, so. well, yeah, I think, uh, we, we've covered all the questions. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it is yeah, a very in a interesting game. Way. Yeah. In a roundabout yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so thank you all so much for listening um in uh, our next episode which will be our penultimate episode i believe uh for season two we will be talking about pendragon uh which a starter set for the new edition has come out yet so we'll have to see if we can get our hands on that if not we'll be looking at the previous edition um so we'll uh and then of course we have uh, uh our actual play is the season finale so we're still working on that and, oh yeah, uh, what did we settle on doing for that? We have not, so that's something we'll have to discuss oh, uh, boy, off ooh, mic. Yeah, mm. I have some thoughts on that. Uh, there are some oh. candidates. Um, so, <laughs> hey, you uh, can generate some traveler characters, roll some dice. There we go. Happens. That's it. Done. We'll do the first chapter of the Pirates of Drenax. Uh, it'll be I'll great. do my Obi Wan voice. These aren't the droids <laughs> you're looking for. Put the gun in your mouth, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Well, can can you get Greg to to yeah? Can you use your te- telepathy to attack Greg before Greg throws you out the airlock? Psionics <laughs> <laughs> versus jujitsu. Yeah. What? Yeah. What I have after watching the Jessica Jones TV show, my my thing in all superhero games is just you know kill the mind controller first mm-hmm. no matter what yeah. else is yeah. going on <laughs> yeah mind controller then the healer then yeah yeah uh so yeah thank you all for listening uh check out lotto narrative dissidents.com um for links uh and show notes and also we have a community discord which uh i will put a link in our show notes uh that you can uh, jump did in and ever, discuss this episode yeah did we ever get those stickers set up in the red bubble store uh no i'll we'll we'll have to deal with that yeah that is something to think about yeah something for the future uh yeah Yeah. uh well be on the lookout for that yep all right thank you all and we'll talk to you later bye bye bye